Good morning. My name is Jason Davis. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Charleston Baptist. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there's a, there should be a, a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. It looks like this one. Um, and love for you to get that out and turn to Matthew, uh, Matthew 28. Um, it's going to be on page 926. We're going to be talking about discipleship this morning. What is discipleship? As I said, I'm the discipleship pastor. I just thought it might be about time that we may talk about discipleship. And some of you may uh, have thought, well, what does that guy do? Why is he the disciple? Well, we're going to talk about a little bit of how actually discipleship is really not just my job. Um, it is the job of all of us. It's this beautiful thing that God has invited all of us into. And so we're going to see that from these passages this morning. But what is discipleship? What is discipleship? Have you ever been discipled? Think about that for a second. Have you ever been discipled? Some of you may say, no, I've never been discipled. I've never had anybody disciple me. I want to say, maybe you have, and just not even known it. That I really think all of us have been discipled in one way or another. Think about the things that you watch. Think of the things that you listen to. We are all being discipled by the media that we are consuming on a daily basis. We're discipled in acting and thinking in a certain way. Think about the things that you watch on TV. That their advertisement says that if you buy this product, you will have a happy life. Or if you listen to this politician, he'll solve all your problems or she'll solve all your problems. You know, we're discipled to, to think and act in a certain way. But then there's also like uh, official discipleship that happens in the workplace. And it's called internships. Where someone comes into a job and they're discipled on how to, how to operate within that job and how to perform that, that job well. Doctors, I think about residencies and how they're discipled. That's a form of discipleship. But this morning, we're at church. We're going to be looking at Jesus' words. And so we need to talk about what is Christian discipleship? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? How do we do this? And some of you think, may think Christian discipleship, oh, that's a program that we have at church. Or that's going to that Bible study, and that's learning more about who Jesus is or how to live the Christian life. Well, I want to encourage you, it's so much greater than that. So much more than just a program at church. Or maybe some of you may be thinking, I don't need that. Like, I'm fine on my own. I don't need uh, to be discipled. I don't have time to disciple anybody else. I don't need that in my life. Well, we're going to say, see from Scripture that you do. You might think, I don't have enough knowledge. Maybe you're like, I just haven't been a Christian long enough, or I just don't know enough Scripture. I'm not like the pastors, or I'm not like that Christian over there who, man, he can quote Scripture to you all day long. I'm not like them, and I just can't do discipleship because I'm not smart enough. Well, let me let you in on a secret. As a pastor, I have, far, I have a long ways to go. I have a lot more to learn. All of us have a lot more to learn. And none of us have arrived. And so we're all in that same boat of needing to know more, learning to know more, and modeling it and growing in that. And so all of us are in that boat. And so what does that look like then? If we start to move away all of our excuses of why we are not going to participate or not be involved or not pursue discipleship or being discipled, then what does that look like for you and for me? Well, let's look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. These verses will be familiar to a lot of you and maybe not to some. 
But starting in verse 16, it says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I found that intriguing. We'll get back to that. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Father, as we dive into your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move through this place, move through the hearts and minds of all that are here. Father, that you would call some to be disciples. Lord, you would call some to go and disciple. That you would call others to seek out someone to disciple them. Father, you have called us to doing life together. Not to doing this just all by ourselves, but doing life together. Father, I thank you for these words of Jesus. Jesus, as you sit at the right hand of the Father, may they impact our heart and our mind and our actions. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what is discipleship? What is discipleship? Let's look at first, um, uh, verses 16 through 17. Discipleship, the first step of discipleship is be, begins with being a disciple of Christ. Step one, you gotta be a disciple of of Christ to do Christian discipleship. Pretty obvious, but here we, we see in verses uh, 16 uh, and 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Who directed them? It was Jesus directed them. Whose disciples were they? They were Jesus' disciples. The first start of discipleship is being a follower of Jesus. What did they do? They heard the voice of Jesus and they did what? They obeyed, they went, they, they went to where they were supposed to be. And so my first question to you this morning, are you listening to Jesus? Are you doing what he's called you to do? Are you just walking that first step at a time? Because he told them to go. He didn't tell them the whole thing that they were about to experience. He didn't lay it all out first and then they went. He told them to go. And that's the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, we, all, we don't always get everything at one time. We don't get the whole plan laid out. Praise God we don't. Because I don't think I can handle it. I'll be honest. If I go back as a new believer and I, and I, and I was told everything that was going to me, happen to me, I would have never said I would be up here on the stage preaching the word of God. I would have been horrified. I would have run like Jonah. And hopefully there would have been a fish because I probably wouldn't have stopped running. That would have been horrifying to me to be up in front of people and speak and talk about the word of God. I would have been terrified. And here, as the, these disciples, they're told to go. And they do. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. This is amazing. They saw him. And then some doubted. I love the honesty of the scriptures. They didn't just paint these disciples as super beings, super Christians or superhuman with no flaws. It painted them with a reality. Man, I can identify with these guys. That they have just experienced this difficult situation where Jesus has been crucified on the cross. They have all deserted him. Now he's told them to go, on the, go to the mountain of Galilee. And they don't know what to expect. 
They some fall down and worship. They fall and they worship. They worship him, which is a, an amazing response and it's a true response. But then it says, some doubted. And there's some commentators that want to take that away from the apostles and maybe put it on a larger crowd that may have been there. But I want to say, just from the clear, straightforward reading of the scripture, it looks like it's talking about the 11 disciples. That some of those, the 11, why would they have doubted? Because they rejected Jesus. And he was calling them to come back. There was some fear there that was going on. There may be some fear for you. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you ready to take that next step with him? Because you might identify with these guys. Or you, there's some fear in your heart. There's some doubt there. Are you sure you've called me? Again, I go back to when I first became a believer. Are you sure you want me to go into ministry? Like, I don't have this whole thing figured out. Like, my memory is pretty bad. If I forget your name, I'm sorry. But like I said, my memory is pretty bad. But I, he said, yes, go, do, take one step at a time. Be faithful with one step at a time. Are you a disciple of Christ? See, they, they, they obeyed. They did. They worshiped. Some doubted. So discipleship begins with being a disciple of Christ. Look what it says in Luke 9, 23 through 27. He says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is what it means. This is what it practically looks like to be a disciple of Christ, that these 11 were called to do this. They were called to deny themselves, to take up their cross once. No, that's not what it says. Daily. That means they're dying to self. They're giving up their wants and desires and saying, it's about you, Jesus. I'm following you. And he says, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. I love this dichotomy in the scriptures where we think if we work hard enough and we strive to be good people, if we strive to do all the right things, we can save ourselves. That's the, that's the mantra of all world religions besides Christianity. It is you be the best person you can be. You do everything you can do to save yourself. That you help as many people as you can. You give as much money as you can. You do all these things, these rituals, these rites and rituals in other religions. And then you may be able to be saved. But here Jesus says very different. It's the opposite of that. that if we, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If we seek to work hard enough to save our life. Scripture says that our Righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. That the best we can offer God is something that is gross, disgusting, and unwarranted. But see, what happens when we are a disciple of Christ is he changes those filthy rags into brand new. That our righteous deeds now become acceptable for a holy God. Not because of who we are, but because of what he has done. That's why the first step of discipleship begins with being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And then he says in verse 25 there, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And what an amazing truth that is. Man, how many people want to win the mega millions? How many people want to win the lottery and say, I have all this money. I've gained the world. I've gained fame. I mean, think about our celebrities, our culture. 
Think about all the social media, social media platforms. Their goal is to gain followings. Their goal is to, great, to gain fame. And, and what happens when they get it? If they get all the fame in the world, but yet don't know Christ for the rest of the eternity, they are without him. They are suffering. That's what it's saying here. You can gain everything in the world. You can have everything you've ever dreamed of, everything you've ever wanted, and it wouldn't be enough. It would pale in comparison to knowing Jesus and having nothing here. I think about with uh, Operation Christmas Child. As we see the pictures of the faces there, as we see these boys and girls, these men and women that live in a very different culture than we live in and have very different needs and have very different uh, uh, things that we, don't, we, we have that they don't. But yet, they can do these, this. They can do this. They can be a disciple of Christ. They can disciple one another. They can have the good news of Christ and grow in that. They can have the greatest gift that I was talking about. They can have the greatest gift in this world is eternal life. Not air conditioned, I promise you. There, there's greater gift than air conditioned. And then we move on. And then verse 26, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my word, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death, death until they see the kingdom of God. What does it look like to be a disciple? It's to take up your cross daily, to deny yourself and follow him. There's not a, a large complex system of do's and don'ts that we, he he's lays out here. He says, deny yourself. Why? Why would we even do that? Our world says the exact opposite. Our culture says, you do you. You do everything you want to. You do what makes you happy. That's what everything is preaching us uh, in, our, in our media right now. Whether it's from sports, whether it's from politicians, where, whether it's from movies, it's all about self and how you're to glorify self and you're to make self as happy as you can be. And Jesus says, no, that's not going to make you happy. You'll lose everything if you seek that life. He's saying the life is found in me. That I will give you the life. That you deny yourself and you follow me. And then you'll find true life. Then you'll find true happiness. Man, praise God for a better way than what this world offers. The same idea of discipleship is in Matthew's gospel, it's in Luke's gospel, and it's also in Mark's gospel. And Mark 8, 34 pretty much says the same thing. It says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. And you see there, it's the crowd. It's not just his disciples. He calls the crowd and his disciples to come to listen to what he has to say. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? But what can you give in return for your soul? Jesus gave everything to have your soul, to give you life so that your soul would not be damned. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my word in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed 
when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, what does it mean to be a disciple? It's deny yourself. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. Are you willing to do that? Discipleship begins with being a disciple of Christ. And again, we see that, that same passage in Matthew's gospel. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, and this is Paul preaching or teaching to, sending a letter to the Corinthian church. And uh, this uh, Corinthian church has a lot of issues. They have a lot of problems. And, but this is what Paul uh, teaches them or encourages them. In verse uh, 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? That as a disciple of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. That your body is a temple of the living God. Like to stop and contemplate, to stop and meditate on that for just a minute. That your body is this amazing dwelling place of the God of the universe. That's where he has chose to indwell the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You're not your own. If you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to say, I deny myself. I am no longer mine. I do not get to make the decisions about me anymore. And it's for your good. I think about my my children in this aspect that they want to have autonomy over their own body. They want to say what they can and cannot do. They want to say, I can go to here, I can do this, I can eat this, I can do these things. They want to have complete autonomy over themselves, right? As children, they don't quite get everything. They don't quite understand what a healthy life is. That eating all the candy on Halloween night is not a good idea. Though some of you may have tried that. You know what I mean, right? That they don't understand that there are aspects that they need to uh, listen to father or listen to their mother because we have greater understanding. And what we want is for them for their good. And so the fact that they don't have complete autonomy or complete control over their own body is is for their good. And the same thing is with us as believers, as the disciples of Christ, that it is a good thing that you don't get to control your body. That you don't have complete control over everything about your body. You don't get to decide certain things about you. You don't get to decide what is good and not good. You don't get to decide whether you're a man or woman. God has done that for you. You don't get to decide what you can and cannot do because God has done that for you. And we get to live in light of that. In the pleasure of that. In the joy of that. In the freedom of that. Let's not see that as a constraint, but as a joy, as a pleasure. And then he says, you're not your own. And then verse 20, for you were bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. In a sense, this is an aspect of slavery where you have been enslaved as an unbeliever, as someone who is not a disciple of Christ, they, him or her, they are enslaved to sin, is the way scripture puts it. And Jesus pays the ransom. Jesus pays the price. How does he do it? With his blood. That you have been paid for. Again, when you start to think that I can live however I want to as a disciple of Christ, you have to be reminded that I am not my own. I don't get to make the decisions any longer. Because why? I don't own me. I've been bought for. I've been paid for. 
The price has been paid for you and for me. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. There was all kind of sin going on in Corinthians. In the Corinthian church, there was sexual immorality. There's all kind of things that were going on in, in that church. And what Paul is saying is, wake up, guys. You can't do that. Why? Because God has a bigger, bigger plan for you. He has told you what is right and wrong. Live to glorify him. And as a disciple, we get to do that. So discipleship begins with being a disciple of Christ, following him. And then we continue on in verse 18. Jesus sets the foundation for discipleship. So what is discipleship? One, we have to be a disciple. Number two is that we understand that Jesus sets the foundation for discipleship. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, Jesus came. He told them where to go and Jesus came. What if he didn't show up? What if he never showed up to where he told them to go? I mean, think about how devastating that would have been to them. That he told us to go here, he said he was going to come, and he never shows up. But he did, because he keeps his promises. He keeps his word. And Jesus came and said to them, he said to them, he spoke to them, that this is the God who we serve. He is one that has spoken. That he didn't just leave us in the dark and say, I will save you from your sins. Now, go figure it out. No, 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 no. He has taught us. He has given us his word. He has spoken so that we can live in light of that, so we can live to the glory of God, so we can honor him in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds. That he didn't leave us just to scratch around in the dark to try to find our way. But you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, that he has set that foundation for us. Jesus has spoken. Jesus has all authority. Look at there, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That why can't we begin this process of discipleship? Because all authority has been given to him. He has the authority to save. He has the authority to demand us to follow him as a disciple. He has all authority. How can we enter into this life of discipleship? We recognize who sets the foundation. We recognize that you don't save anyone. We recognize that we don't transform anyone. But it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're called to be faithful. One step at a time. What does he call us to, to do? And we see that through 19 through 20. That last point there is discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more Christ-like. And this is a quote from uh, Mark Dever's book, Discipling. Uh, I recommend it to anybody. Uh, it's a great book. I went through it with my life group. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great book to go a little bit deeper in the, this discussion, this topic of discipling. But this is how he defines discipling. Discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she is more Christ-like. Again, it's not about a checklist. It's about you pouring into the life of somebody else. Let's see in verses 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says, go. That's an action. You are called to do something. 
You're not called to just sit. As a believer, you're called to action. And he says, therefore, what is that therefore? Why, why is that there? It's beckoning us back to the previous verse that we are by, by Jesus, that he has all authority. Because he has all authority, we can go. That's where discipleship begins is in Christ. He's setting the foundation. He's the one that gives us the authority to go. Make disciples of all nations. Not just your favorite ones. Not just ones that you identify with. Not just ones that are culturally similar to you, but all nations. And this idea of nations is ethnic groups. It's not just uh, like America or Mexico or Canada. It's not nations in that regard, but nations in ethnic groups. And so we're to go throughout all the world and find the different ethnic groups and to share the gospel with them to make disciples. Doing what? Baptizing. Baptizing. This idea of baptism, I hope that if you have never been baptized and you are a believer in Christ, this is the first step of obedience. It's identifying with Christ and saying, I am his and he is mine. That I identify with him in that death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we get up here in the baptism. That's why we go under the water and come out of it. It's symbolic of a, a death, a, spirit, a, a death. That you are spiritually dead to yourself and alive in Christ. Again, like 1 Corinthians, that you are not your own. Now I am his. All of me is his. So they were to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity there. The unity within the Trinity. That salvation happens with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what are they to do in verse 20? Teaching them. Teaching them. That's not just about evangelism. It's not just about, oh, I'm going to share the gospel to the masses and if some come to Christ, praise God, and then I'm going to move on. But no, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to try to impact the lives that are around me. I'm going to tell them about Jesus and then I'm going to spend time with them and I'm going to teach them what? I'm going to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them all, teaching uh, them to observe or to obey, or to do. I, I love this aspect of, of observe all that I've commanded. This idea of obey, or to do there. I, again, I, I just I have four kids, and so a lot of the things relate back to my, my kids, and how as I try to parent them, I can tell them to do something. And what is most frustrating is they hear me, they hear my words, but don't do it. Can I get any amens? Amen, Amen brother. All right, I hear you. I, I mean, come on. Like I, I said, do something very simple. Actually, sometimes I've told them to do something that is for their good, for them, and they still don't do it. And that's not observing all that I've commanded. That's not obeying. Like It's this idea of uh, observing all that I've commanded you is not just, I got a head knowledge. That's why a, a class, class on, uh, on Christ or learning more about him, that's not true discipleship. True discipleship is not just relaying information, but it's helping you to follow, to do, to observe. And so as you enter into this life of discipleship, as you seek to do spiritual good to others, to be more like Christ, it's about how you live too, 
how you live your life. It's not just about telling people about Jesus, information about Jesus, information about the Bible, learning more about the Bible. There are some great scholars of Scripture that don't know Jesus. They have a lot of knowledge of the history of Scripture, but yet don't know Jesus. It's more than that. It's far more. That's important. That's great. I love learning more about Scripture. I love listening to lectures on Scripture. I do it quite often, and it's quite enjoyable, but that's not it. That's not discipleship. There's so much more to it. It's about teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Listen how Paul illustrates this to Titus. Paul is teaching Titus he is encouraging Titus he has sent Titus out and Titus chapter 2 1 through 8 it says but as for you Titus but as for you teach what accords with sound doctrine that Titus as a leader in the church he is to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine what goes with scripture I want to encourage you as a pastor, as one of the pastors here, that that is our mission, that is our goal, is always to teach sound doctrine. That Pastor Kevin is passionate about teaching sound doctrine. My goal ever, forever and always is to teach sound doctrine. And anyone that will ever stand here, if it's up to Pastor Kevin and myself, will teach sound doctrine. Because we want to be faithful to the word. That is where life comes forth. And then verse 2, he says, Older men are, you, are, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. I would encourage you, brothers, to mark this passage, to meditate on that one verse for a while, to read it over and over again, brothers. And some of you look at that word and say, older men, and you may say, that's not me. I'm not, that, I'm not the older guy yet. Maybe not. Uh, maybe not. And some of you uh, may say, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm the older guy. Regardless, look what it says about the older men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. These are the type of men that we need discipling other men. I'll be honest, the church needs you to be this. Needs you to be this. Older women, again, you classify yourself. Whether you want to be in this group or not, you classify yourself. But look at the job. Older women, likewise, are to be irreverent in behavior not slanderers, or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. That older women are to teach younger women. That older men are to teach younger men. That you are to live in a way that models what it means to be a follower of Christ. That models what it looks like to be different from the world. And this is always the need. But I can, I can think of right now that we need you more now than ever. To live the Christian life. To model what it means to be a godly man. To, to live in such a way that others would say, that's a godly man. I want to be like him. When I think about this aspect of an older man 
that lives this way. I think about a guy named Kurt Bradford. He is a mentor of mine. He is poured into me, but he's a godly man that when I think of a picture of an older man who lives this lifestyle, I think of that man where he desires others to know Christ, where he's living this out. And then verse six, likewise, urge the younger men. Again, I don't know what category you want to put yourself in, whether you're the younger woman or the older woman or the older man or the younger woman. Would you put yourself there? Be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. Younger men, that there is a standard there is a bar of expectation that is set in scripture that is just isn't just do whatever you want to but there is a standard there is a bar of expectation here younger men to be self-controlled don't just do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it even if you have the time and space to do so but he is saying be self-controlled show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works that you use your time wisely The time that you have right now, don't waste it as you consider yourself a young man. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. He said, we live in such a way that when someone hates us, when someone wants to speak ill of us, they don't have anything to grab at. They start grabbing at straws because they can't speak anything evil of you. They have nothing to accuse you of because you live in such a way that honors God first. Self-controlled, dignified, sober-minded. All these qualities are what we are to be pouring into the lives of others. Younger men need you, older men. Younger women need you, older women. And guess what? The opposite is the same too. To keep you going as an older man, you need to be pouring in. You need to be working. You need to keep going. That you are not done. Discipling happens within the confines of the church. It happens inside the body of Christ. That we, we, we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. And so I need my other brothers to pour into younger men. That I can't be, it can't just be me. I think about the two men that I am over right now. It's Sullivan and Griffin. And that I am to model them what it means to be a man. But guess what? I don't have all it takes. That I will fail them. And what I need is you to be a godly man so that you can pour into them when I fail. When I have to repent of them, they can also go to you. That is us together as we point to Christ that we will raise them to be godly men. It can't just be me. And my daughters, my wife is wonderful and she pours into them and she sets the model for them, my girls. But they need godly women that they can look up to that will set the model of what it truly means to be a woman, what it truly means to love and serve, what it means to be dignified and respectable. Discipling doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens within the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I call you to enter into the fray. It is not easy. Your hearts will be broken. It will cost you to be a disciple of Christ. It will cost you to disciple someone else. 
I think about a brother that has poured into me and how now he has walked away in many aspects. It is hard when we develop friendships and close relationships with one another that we will be hurt, but it's worth it. I promise you, brothers and sisters, it is worth it to enter into the fray of discipling, of pouring into the lives of others and allowing someone to pour into you as well. So my question to you this morning is, are you a disciple? Have you picked up your cross cross to follow him? And then are you discipling anyone? And again, we have thousands of excuses. We can justify all day long. I, I promise you, I'm there. I can justify of why I can't do it. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough knowledge. Uh, I, just, I just can't, I can't do that. We can justify all, all day long, but that's not what scripture tells us. I mean, Matthew 28 is called the Great Commission. And it's not just to the 11 disciples, it's to the followers of Christ that we are to go and do this. That they weren't enough. The 11 weren't just enough, but they discipled men and women who discipled men and women who discipled men and women who discipled men and women so that we could be sitting here today praising the name of God. You see, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, it says, Paul says this. It's an amazing statement, bold statement, a statement I really hesitate to say. But he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that's discipleship. It's, hey, look at me. Look at me. Not because I'm amazing, not because I have it all right, but look at me because I'm following him. Like, as I follow him, you follow behind. Because I'm looking at him. I'm looking at Jesus. I'm following Jesus, and you fall behind. And then Philippians uh, 3.17, he says, Paul says this, Brothers, join in imitating me. Again, bold, bold statement. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, look at me, but also look at the examples you have around you. And praise God, Charleston Baptist does. I praise God for the, the men and women in this church that are faithful to the gospel, that are faithful to following Jesus. But we need more. I want you to be that person. Every single one of you to be that faithful man or that faithful woman that could say, join in imitating me. Join me. As I follow him, you follow me because you're going to be following him, right? We see that uh, not only are we to be discipling someone else or being discipled, but are you, is someone discipling you? That we have this, a lot of times we have this idea of I'm pouring out, I'm pouring out, I'm pouring out, but you need to be poured into as well. That is someone pouring into you. Is there a, a, a faithful man in your life that is further down the journey of walking with Christ than you are? that you can gather wisdom from? Or is there a faithful woman in Christ that is further down the journey that can pour in to you as well? Look for those examples. And then closing it out with this, we see in that last passage there that in, uh, in verse 20, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that we see as Matthew closes out the book, it's kind of structured with two, two big overarching themes. 
One at the beginning and one right here at the end. How does discipleship happen? What does it look like? And some of you may think, this is overwhelming, I can't do this. Well, I want to encourage you to look back at what Scripture says. That is, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That you are not to do this in your own power. I'm not asking you to do anything in your own power, but to walk faithfully with him, to follow him. That is what we are called to do. In Matthew 1.23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. From birth to death, Jesus is God with us. Jesus leaves and imparts his Holy Spirit. We see in the first book of Acts where the Holy Spirit is given to the believers, to the disciples, to the apostles, that they are to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. We just went through the book of Galatians that we are to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. My prayer this morning is that you too would jump into it, feet first, ready to go, that you are a disciple of Christ, that you understand the foundation of discipleship is in Jesus himself and what he has done, he has all authority, that he will be with you. And then two, that you will seek to do spiritual good to help a man or a woman, a boy or a girl that could become more like Christ. And that's our job as a church family. We get to do this together. Praise God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this time. You're an amazing God. Thank you for this word. Father, I just think about my own life and how, how different life would have been if I would have tried to do this all on my own. But how you have put faithful men over the course of years to help teach me and train me and to guide me and how there are still faithful men further along in their journey that I seek to gain knowledge from. But it's not just about me, Father. It's also about pouring into the lives of others. And how we can continue to do that. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning here. Or that they would seek to do spiritual good to a boy or a girl, a man or a woman, to be more Christ-like. Father, they don't have all the answers, nor do I. But you call us to be faithful. You call us to take one step at a time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing.